This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 20th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Matt Kibbe, the president of Freedom Works, is bullish on the struggle for freedom at the International Students for Liberty Conference this weekend. We discussed disruptive innovations like Uber and the new abilities Americans have to organize themselves politically on behalf of liberty. The biggest challenge today, I think, in the freedom movement is actually understanding how big of an opportunity we see before us. And I think this is all about the Internet. The Internet has changed everything. It has made us freer on virtually every, in every, every aspect of our lives. Um, it is also the mechanism by which the surveillance state can, can monitor every aspect of our, our activities. It's not an accident the tyrants of every stripe, U.S. senators like Lindsey Graham, t- real tyrants in the Middle East, the first thing they do is they try to take away people's ability to know, people's ability to find out for themselves what's going on, to self-organize, to protest. Um, so what do we do with this opportunity? I think it changes how we do things. And here at the Students for Liberty, you can see in real time the net result of the fact that that young people have better information. When I was 16 years old, nothing like this could have conceivably existed. uh, Young people could have never found each other. They couldn't have found ideas. So that's that's what I'm interested in solving that problem because I think the answer to all our problems, from national security to the surveillance state to the organization of society to economic gains from the bottom up, come from decentralization, not more centralization. But uh, there is a kind of centralization that uh, I think has been extremely valuable in showing people how robust civil society can really be. And I'm thinking of services like Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and back to eBay in terms of allowing people to have an idea of the reputations of other people and then being able to act on that information to, like you say, organize themselves. Yes, it's, it's, it's a service platform. I mean, what, what Uber does is it, it allows people to cut out the middleman, even though Uber, in a, in a sense, is the middleman. But when, when I was a kid learning economics, the classic example of a monopoly that you could not break up was a New York taxi system. Couldn't do it. All of the interests were aligned, and the customer got screwed. Well, of course, that changes. Um, of course, today... Facebook users are constantly complaining about the tyranny of Facebook. And maybe this is, maybe Marx was right about uh, the, the means of production alienating people. But now it's these platforms. But, but I suspect as big as Facebook is, as big as Google is, um, if they don't continue to serve a fundamental purpose, someone else is going to fill that gap. And that's, that to me is the opportunity, again, um, firing middlemen all over the place including in politics. But, you know, politics is kind of a lagging indicator of something more fundamental that's going on. So what is the, if, a, if I'm a politician and I witness this unfolding of people being able to organize, of being able to cut out the, the middleman in so many ways, including perhaps me, uh, what, what is my response? What, what steps do I take to maintain incumbency and, uh, and aggrandize myself? Your response is quite hostile to the fact that the <laughs> customers of politics, the voters, would have more information and an ability to, to, to pr- provide for themselves more choices. Um, Justin Amash recently experienced this um, in his uh, um, last primary race. The, the, the GOP establishment does not like 
Justin Amash's independence. They don't like the fact that he can raise money outside of the party system. They don't like the fact that he votes independent of the speaker's wishes. So they, they ran a primary against him. Um, but those same tools that allowed for a Justin Amash to exist in the first place trumped the establishment's money. Um, they've taken a new step, which is to change the rules in a way that makes it far easier for political parties, the collusion between Republicans and Democrats, to reinforce the power of the two-party system, making it easier for the Republican National Committee to raise money vis-a-vis um, -vis someone like Rand Paul that can raise money outside the system. Yeah, it, it's interesting that the response to, I think broadly, Citizens United has ironically been for uh, politicians to begin to feel pressure to make it easier for people to raise to raise money to politicians to raise money directly. Yes, it you know for all of the anxiety about Citizens United, it's not really about big corporations investing in politics. They always did, and it was always uh, a deep-pocketed finance game for both political parties. What what what's really happened? is that it's re-enfranchised small donors, people that can write $25 checks. Um, and you look at any libertarian-leaning candidate that has won a Republican primary, you, you look at even the, the disintermediation that goes on in the Democratic Party with, with more radical progressives having, having a seat at the table. Um, that's all driven by, not, not by so much by Citizens United, but by better information and better tools. What encourages you most uh, of course, we're here at the Students for Liberty conference, which six years ago wasn't really a thing. But what uh, what encourages you most about seeing all these uh, young people who are really engaged, very connected, and uh, really passionate about uh, liberty? I think I think what encourages me most is we're just scratching the surface. And you think about one of my favorite cyber libertarians is a guy named John Perry Barlow. He was the lyricist for the Grateful Dead which is where I discovered him. He's very fluent on, on F.A. Hayek. But he argues that the Internet and social media create a virtual right to know. And he may be talking more of a positive right. He, he, he leans left that way. But I'm thinking it's a negative right. And his point is, you can go find out anything about anything. And there are no barriers to entry. There's no, there's no school teacher. There's no institution that's preventing you from finding these things out. There's no the books out of the library. There's no Walter Cronkite telling you that's the way it is. And to me, that suggests that the only libertarian project should be getting to the very tail end of the internet and finding and connecting every single person that should be aware of these ideas that has them in their, in their heart. But they don't know, they don't know the, the back end of that. And I'm seeing that trend in my own organization. People got involved in politics first, activists. And then they got involved in policy, and now they're, now they're actually reaching out and trying to fill in the blanks. They're saying, who is this Hayek guy that everybody keeps talking about? That, that just didn't happen five years ago. Something that this decentralization that you're talking about has already revealed is that uh, parties are becoming, at least when it comes to legislating on behalf of liberty, are becoming less relevant. Can you speak to that? Yeah, very much so. And it's always been kind of a, a caricature. You had Republicans versus Democrats, conservatives versus liberals. But I think the new paradigm, and which has always been the paradigm, is it's about uh, centralization and control versus the American people who want to be left free. 
And what's interesting, on, on an issue like criminal justice reform, which is, has suddenly, after years and years of labor, emerged as, as a real legislative opportunity, you look at the legislative partners, it's always a Mike Lee working with a Dick Durbin, or a Rand Paul working with a Cory Booker. Or Patrick Leahy. Or Patrick Leahy, who's a deadhead, by the way, very important to note that. Um, and and we've worked with, with all of these um, uh, very left of center legislators that I never, never thought I'd work with before. I'm actually co-authoring a series of op-eds with the co-founder of MoveOn.org on uh, civil asset reform. And to me, that's the new normal. Um, my community of, of supposedly libertarian-leaning Tea Party conservatives, whatever the New York Times says they are, um, they're very excited about these liberty issues. And and they don't, they don't shy away from working with anybody. They'll work with Code Pink if we agree on the importance of the Fifth Amendment, if we agree that the Fourth Amendment is worth defending. Um, that's the new normal, and I think that scares the politicians as well. The, the, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, in some sense, is, is a, the grand bargain that uh, we can all agree on. And it doesn't... Uh, that's not something that is typically in the best interest of a ruling political class. Yeah, and I think this, this goes back to our earlier point that this um, opportunity on criminal justice reform, this whole set of issues, the opportunity on, on privacy protections and, and fixing the, the seizure of our phone calls and emails, that's because people have better information. Neither um, party, neither, neither, none of the bosses in either party have any interest in taking power away from the government, but the constituencies that make up the parties absolutely do. Matt Kibbe is the president of Freedom Works, Cato Audio, the monthly audio magazine from the Cato Institute, hosted by yours truly, is now available free online. To begin listening, visit Cato.org. <laughs>